0: Have you ever stopped to wonder who the unhappiest individuals within your organization are? Those weary souls who navigate the daily grind with an invisible weight on their shoulders, all while hiding behind their smiles. And what's driving them crazy? Well, they may not be who you think they are. At least they were not who we would have thought of. In today's episode, we're going to uncover the hidden narratives behind workplace unhappiness and what can be done to fix it. Welcome to The 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast by Zenger Folkman. Each week, using research from over 1.5 million global assessments of leaders, we analyze different leadership traits, trends, and what it really takes for leaders to get to the 90th percentile. I'm Brianna Koren, and joining me today is leadership legend and my co-host, Jack Sanger.
1: Nice to be with you on this interesting topic.
0: Yes. So I have some happiness stats for you, Jack, that I want your opinion on. I went digging, of course, through the Gallup 2023 State of Global Workplace report, and it said that 23% of workers are engaged and thriving at work. They estimate that 59% are quite quitting or not engaged and 18% are allowed quitting or actively disengaged. So do you find those numbers surprising, distressing? What do you think?
1: (laughs) Don't find them surprising, but I do find them distressing.
0: Um, yeah, they are a little bit distressing. They also found that 44% of workers have experienced a lot of stress, which is, it's kind of stayed the same amount as last year, but it is the highest on record. It's been slowly growing since they started the report in 2009. So in other words, it is clear that we have some stressed out unhappy workers who are still thinking about quitting their jobs, whether loudly or quietly. So when you and Joe did some digging in Sanger folkmans database, what do you find about workers' happiness?
1: Well, we gathered data from the most unengaged and uncommitted employees, from more than 320,000 employees in a variety of organizations. We then identified those employees whose engagement and commitment scores were in the bottom 5% and compared their responses and the responses of those 15,729 unhappy souls to the rest. You might think that these would be the people with poor performance ratings or the ones who were in over their heads, people with inadequate training or education or experience for the job.
0: Yeah, or perhaps they're the ones who haven't been on the job long enough to decide they're a bad fit and move elsewhere.
1: Yes, but when we examined the demographic characteristics of these employees, we found that instead they could best be described as stuck in the middle of everything. The most common profile for the people in that bottom 5% was that they've earned a college degree, but not a graduate degree. They have five to 10 years of tenure. They work as mid-level managers. They received a good as opposed to either superior or a terrible performance rating.
0: So people that were kind of just stuck in the middle.
1: Yeah, now there were also some young hotshots and poor performers and a few higher executives who in that disgruntled group. But for the most part, the unhappy people were steady, good performers, who had been in the organization for some time, but appeared to have gotten lost in the shuffle.
0: Now, what were the main factors causing this dissatisfaction? Well, in ascending order of importance, here is the litany of their unhappiness that we will now describe. Number nine, their distinctiveness was not valued or appreciated. We've talked a lot about diversity, and and in an organization, it's talked about, but sometimes it's rarely practiced. Increasing diversity doesn't really do a lot if you haven't reshaped your organization's power structure and the voices that you need to amplify. You can talk all you want, but if you're not practicing it, it doesn't mean anything. I had a good female friend of mine who received this great promotion to be part of this senior team that had previously only males and they realized that they needed to get more females in there. She was excited that she could make this difference, but sadly, her opinions and her ideas were always shut down. She didn't feel valued, and eventually she just left the organization. She felt like she really couldn't make a difference there. Her voice was not valued or heard. So I can see how people can really get a lot of unhappiness if they, if they don't feel heard or valued or appreciated.
1: Yeah, and as a quick aside on, on your story, um, it would have been good if they could have had two women in yeah. the group. The research is pretty clear that when you're all by yourself, and especially if you're a woman in an all-male group, you tend to get ignored. The next one on our list, uh, Brie, was that, that they see the organization as inefficient and ineffective. Many organizations are guilty of wasting money or making poor decisions and resisting innovation, but the combination of those, failing to correctly apply your resources, that just is what makes people really disgruntled and unhappy.
0: That's why I can't ever watch the, the office episodes because <laughs> Michael's gone. So I'm like, no, I just couldn't work there for a day. Ah, so the next major source of unhappiness is number seven, they felt overworked. Many organizations will tell employees that they think it's really important to have work-life balance, but then they assign too large of workloads for anyone to handle effectively. The inconsistency between what's being said and what really happens creates this frustration and it's hard for employees to push back because you don't want to seem lazy or incompetent with you know complaining about your workload but what do you do (laughs) so yeah that's a that's a big source of unhappiness
1: okay and now moving up our list uh, number six was that these people don't believe that if they raise an issue anything will happen it won't be addressed they tend to just feel helpless and with no true advocate and that that their opinions really just do not matter. This is a symptom maybe of the more fundamental feeling that they don't feel valued or appreciated to a large extent that they feel they're taken advantage of or worse, they feel like they are given an unfair treatment compared to others. They believe other people get better pay or more, more opportunities for promotions, while all they get is a grossly unfair share of the workload.
0: Yeah, which leads to the next source of unhappiness, which was their work lacked meaning and purpose. When people feel that they accomplish something worthwhile, they have pride in what they do and their commitment increases. And you and Joe have studied that a lot. But these employees feel like they are lost in these hollow throwaway jobs that make very little difference. And we all want to feel happy at work. In fact, some organizations literally have jobs where it's the chief happiness officer (laughs) and their job is to help Employees feel happier because they've found that people are happier, they're more productive. I mean, one HBR article I read recently said that, quote, if you set happiness as your primary goal, you can end up feeling the opposite. This is because happiness, like all emotions, is a fleeting state, not a permanent one. An alternative solution is to make meaning your vocational goal end quote. <laughs> so finding your purpose is what's going to make the difference. And you can have real meaning and purpose in literally any job. So Jack, why, why do you think p- these people in the middle get stuck feeling this way where they've lost their purpose?
1: Well, you know, and I think it's it's largely because uh, those in management positions have have forgotten the lesson that was taught to us Many decades ago by a man named Frederick Hertzberg, who pointed out that, you know, at the end of the day, what's really most important is the nature of the job that people have and the work that they're being asked to do. And when organizations deliberately work to make jobs larger or more significant, more interesting, have variety, it's, we've, we've not paid attention to making jobs kind of fun and, and vital and, and that's why I think they they end up feeling that they're that they're stuck. You know, the next thing our research showed was is very you know distressing is that people don't see any promotional or long term career opportunities. Mm-hmm. They feel like they're on a treadmill rather than on a path to a really desirable career. And then finally, ultimately, the factor that caused the most dissatisfaction was poor leadership. Fundamentally, our data confirms that an ineffective leader generates dissatisfied, uncommitted employees. The average employee commitment score for the group we studied was at the third percentile. That is, 97% of their colleagues were more committed than they were. But they were not alone. The average employee commitment score for all the employees working for that same leader was only at the 20th percentile meaning that pretty much everyone working for that particular boss was unhappy.
0: And as employees deal with these frustrations, it's interesting to see how one of these issues will have a compounding effect on the other. So, for example, like a poor leader shows little interest in an employee and never discusses career or development opportunities and this causes the unhappy worker then to question the value of the work that he's doing since he sees no payoff for himself, and that prompts him to start questioning the workload. And if he believes that nothing I do has any impact or makes a difference, then he will feel unappreciated and unfairly treated. They build upon each other.
1: They do. So why should I care? Some people may be saying it's only 5% of the employees, but we submit everyone should care. That 5% has a powerful impact on others emotions are really contagious. Their lack of motivation drags down the organization. You know, most firms have a fairly narrow profit margin and turning around the bottom 5% could have a dramatic impact on performance and productivity. More fundamentally, the critical point here is that these workers were valuable in the past and they should be contributing now and to your company's future. They're not incompetent, they've just been poorly managed. So what to do? We think it boils down to helping their managers change or to change their managers. Mm -hmm. First, give the manager a chance to change. No matter how great a trail of happiness they leave in their wake, we found these leaders typically have no idea how destructive their behavior is on their subordinates. So we suggest starting by giving them a healthy dose of feedback in a constructive way. This may take the form of a conversation with their boss, or sharing the results of an employee survey or providing them with some 360 degree feedback. In coaching conversations, a toxic leader's boss should focus on the behaviors that were most serious in the eyes of the direct reports, asking that leader to select one or two behaviors to dramatically change. Effective changes can be as simple as providing some subordinates positive feedback about their contributions to the team's output and seeking periodic discussions of direct reports career ambitions rather than focusing only on the work at hand. While the leader's boss should make sure that the choice of behaviors address issues that are important to them, taking action on any two is more important than exactly which two of them are chosen since addressing any problem will likely have a positive effect on several others
0: because they are a little bit connected, but what What if that doesn't
1: work? Well, a dispiriting leader who has contributed positively in the past might be moved to a new department or a new role in the organization. If given extensive help in the new role, that's provided he's willing to respond to feedback and make changes. But it makes no sense to move a manager into a new position where he or she is apt to fail. If they show no signs, of taking feedback seriously, and if they're not willing to make near-term behavior changes, then the move may just unfortunately need to be either downward or out.
0: With all that said about what the organizations and boss can do to help, I think it is important to point out that sometimes the employee is the problem.
1: (laughs) Yes, some employees work for bosses their colleagues find extremely inspiring and motivating and yet they are still disengaged. The same approach that works for a poor leader can work for them. Such employees deserve clear feedback about how they display their lack of engagement and the negative impact that has on the rest of the group. Mm -hmm. Then the choice is to change their behavior or leave. That should be left up to them. To stay but not change should not be an option. Our bottom line view is simple. When a good leader is in place, there's no reason to put up with a disengaged employee. But every employee deserves to work for a good leader. No organization should tolerate the harm that bad ones do to their people and to the overall business.
0: The 90th Percentile and Unconventional Leadership Podcast was written and recorded by Brianna Corin, Jack Zanger, and Joe Folkman, and produced by Zanger Folkman. If you're interested in learning more about Zanger Folkman's award-winning 360-degree assessments, leadership, and coaching offerings, or would like to attend our monthly leadership webinar series hosted by Jack and Joe, visit our website at zangerfolkman.com. If you like our podcast, tell your friends and coworkers about it, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and leave us a great review. We really like to read them. All resources and links to the research referenced in this episode can be found in our episode details or on our podcast page on zangerfolkman.com.